Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, this is Hodum with Believe in the Media Guide on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? On what would have been Masters Week at Augusta National, the golf world announced a revised 2020 schedule. The Open Championship in England has been canceled for the first time since World War II. The PGA Championship has been postponed until August. The U.S. Open is rescheduled for September, and the Masters is to be played in November. In a stay-at-home world, sports and sports media continue to find new ways to connect fans with athletes, leagues, and teams. The PGA Tour has content offerings now as well as great features for fans when its players are back on courses around the world. PGA Tour Live has been made free and available for streaming with new content every week, including the Tiger Woods Return of the Roar documentary and a May 1964 head-to-head match between legends Ben Hogan and Sam Snead. Gene Sarazen, one of five to achieve the career Grand Slam, called Hogan's effort the finest round of golf that has been played in my lifetime. In another innovation, the PGA Tour recently answered the fans' most frequently asked question, when can we see every shot by launching Every Shot Live, which does just what it says it does. Helping power these products is Devin Fox, Director, Digital Platform Innovation at the PGA Tour. In her position, Devin is focused on the fan and responsible for leading tour efforts to create and explore forward-leading technologies that drive interest in the sport of golf. You can connect with her on Twitter at Devin R. Fox, all one word. Devin Fox, how are you doing? I'm doing so great, Stu, and I want to thank you for having me as a guest on Believe in the Media Guide. I think the work you're doing is really incredible. Oh, well, I appreciate that, Devin, and I think the work you're doing is incredible, too. Uh, and with hundreds of hours of archived content, including classic final round replays, fans can binge for free until May 17th at PGATourLive.com. Can you give an overview of this product and what can fans expect when they log on? Sure. PGA Tour Live is our uh, over-the-top product, OTT, uh, you might know it by. And as you mentioned earlier, it is free in the U.S. until PGA Tour resumes play. Um, We've got thousands of hours of coverage for fans to dive into, and I highly recommend checking it out if you haven't had a chance to do so already. And when the season is back underway, what live features will be available to users? Fans will be able to watch exclusive live coverage of featured groups once live play has resumed. Uh, They'll also get access to integrated scoring and statistics, um, hundreds of hours of video on demand, including speed rounds for each player. Uh, If you aren't familiar with what a speed round is, uh, I would describe it as a uh, approximately 10-minute condensed round for each player that is uh, in our normal featured group coverage. I mentioned every shot live. Um, being able to see every shot live during a tournament makes a fan into a TV director. When did the PGA Tour begin working on this feature, Every Shot Live? I can recall conversations about Every Shot Live about as far back as 10 months ago or so. But I also know um, from talking to one of the folks in my office that the idea really came about two years ago. The, uh, the product and entertainment teams led by uh, Scott Gutterman 
Eric Hansen, Greg Hopfe, and Mike Romando all partnered together to get this project going. Um, and honestly, it's a small miracle that we were able to get it launched so seamlessly when I think about the complexities that are involved with it. Yeah, and that was what I was wondering. What are some of the challenges to creating live digital products on golf courses? For example, I saw every shot live had at least one wireless camera at every fairway. How do you establish connectivity on a golf course? In this case, TPC Sawgrass is already wired with underground fiber, so we were able to tap into that existing infrastructure. If we were doing it on another course that didn't already have that, we would have to lay the fiber first, um, which can be very time-consuming and expensive. Um, So I think doing it at TPC Sawgrass really helped us. And the setup for Every Shot Live included a wired fiber camera at every tee box and every green. Some of the green cameras were actually shared with NBC as well. We also had about 14 handheld RF cameras spread across the par 4 and par 5 fairways. And some of the holes even had a secondary fairway or green camera, which were all basically a mix of both RF and fibered cameras. Uh, All of them had microphones as well. So when I'm totaling things up, all in, we had more than 80 cameras set up for every shot live specifically. And then total across the entire course, we had more than 110 cameras. So it was a whole lot of cameras, a whole lot of movement, a whole lot of fiber, um, really complex operation. Wow. Yeah. And so it makes sense that um, with that fiber underneath the golf course that the TPC Sawgrass is uniquely qualified to, to pull this off. But will we see every shot live at any other upcoming events? I think so. We're, um, we're actually evaluating the potential to offer every shot live again at the Players Championship next year, but we don't have any definitive plans yet. Well, kind of talking in this virtual world um, that we're living in these days, um, we're approaching a full month of working from home. We've learned some lessons and found opportunities. What have you um, personally learned while working from home? Well, to start, I just want to say that seeing the rising number of new infections and new deaths each day is absolutely heartbreaking. Um, Each one of those numbers represents literally dozens of human lives affected by this virus. But I think everyone is processing this thing in a totally different way. Some people are really struggling, and rightly so. They're losing work, they're losing pay, they're they're sick, their family members are sick. Um, And I think that, you know, for for those extroverts in the world uh, who are stuck at home and unable to socialize in the ways that they used to, Uh, you know, while introverts are at home doing okay by themselves at home. Uh, I think it's really tough for parents right now. So many parents are at home with their kids trying to figure out how to keep doing their day jobs from home where they may not necessarily have all the tools they need to be successful in a home environment, all while trying to teach their kids materials that they likely haven't looked at in many years. It, It just has to be absolutely daunting. And I think we can all agree that teachers are underpaid when this is all over. Um, but what I've discovered about myself through all of this is that I, you know, I truly am an introvert. Typically, I demonstrate extroverted qualities at work because I need to in order to get things done. But I can 100% say that I am an, I am an introvert and I am doing okay. I'm eating better. I'm sleeping better. I'm exercising more than I ever have. 
And to be honest, I feel that the introverts of the world are really stepping into leadership roles in a way that they haven't before. Um, we're teaching extroverts um, and people who you know tend to be more extroverted new strategies for how to be okay with constant, uh, without having constant social contact. And in my own personal experience with it, it's been working when I talk to these people. I've had numerous folks reach out to me asking for tactics they can use to better manage boredom or anxiety or just how to deal with being cooped up. Um, in some cases, they're asking you know, how, how to find moments of peace when they're stuck at home with a number of family members they aren't used to having around. Um, so they're looking to introverts for that advice. Um, it's, it's really been eye-opening, I think, for all of us. And I, I, I look forward to a day where we can get back to business as usual. That's great perspective. Um, as you work with your teammates, um, what tools have helped you do your job? And as you say, have you um, mentioned to your teammates to help them um, not only keep in touch with you, but do what they need to do in this world? Uh, I've really been embracing video conferencing tools, um, particularly Microsoft Teams. Uh, I'm using the chat feature a lot, and the number of emails and meeting invites that I'm receiving as a result of using that chat feature, um, I mean, it's just drastically re reduced. Um, my calendar looks almost empty, and it's, it's shocking because I'm so used to having back-to-back -back meetings all day. Um, I'm also really diligent about setting clear boundaries. Um, I sign on and off at a specific time every day to keep the lines between my life and my work unblurred. Um, I think it's really important to set those boundaries when your life is your work and your work is your life and school is, you know, kind of thrown in there. Uh, so definitely the best piece of advice I have is to use those communication tools and to, to draw those boundaries for yourself and be clear about them with your, um, with your team and with your supervisors. Yeah, those lines are blurred more than ever during this time. So um, if we could go to what your regular day-to-day -day would be when you were in the office, you've led the PGA Tour Labs and Innovation Team in the creation of several award-winning initiatives, and including the launch of the PGA Tour VR and AR apps. Can you take us through a day and how you interact with the content product and operations teams? Sure. Uh, we'll start with content. Uh, we work with the content team to try and find new ways to deliver content to fans. Uh, we've worked on a couple of projects with them, like getting tour content onto VR platforms like the Oculus Rift, Samsung Gear VR, Twitter 360, and, and things like that. We've also worked with the content and social teams to get the uh, PGA Tour Fan Council up and running a few years ago. Uh, so that's been really interesting to be able to get fan feedback um, and, and engage with them in a way that we weren't able to do before. On the product side, we meet every week to brainstorm and share thoughts on how we can best utilize new technologies like augmented reality, um, you know, uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning to showcase our ShotLink data our 3D models and like other proprietary types of assets that we have in our arsenal. We often will lead design thinking workshops with the product team a couple times a year and some really amazing ideas come out of those sessions. The other thing we do um, is host employee hackathons. It's not really related to the product team, but it kind of popped into my head while I was saying that. And some of the best things that we've done, like you mentioned the AR app that we launched um, 
a couple years ago, that idea actually came out of an employee hackathon. So those types of events are really important in what we do. Skipping forward to operations, we work with ops when our experiments and proof of concepts turn out really well and we decide that we want to roll them into our production product suite. We provide documentation, training, background on the product or the piece of content, and we get them up to speed on how to support the work once it's live for fans. You mentioned the PGA Tour Fan Council. Um, How do you use that council, um, and how do you and your team interact with fans and apply their feedback to new products? Hmm. So the Fan Council um, has been operating for a few years now, and the, um, the product team, as well as every other department in the company, utilize that Fan Council to set up um, studies that we can use to engage with our fans and get their feedback on specific things. Once that feedback has been collected, the, um, the guy who runs the Fan Council, his name is Zach, He writes up reports and provides recommendations for what those business units should be doing with the information. Um, Sometimes they take it, sometimes they don't, um, but it's really interesting to see what comes out of it. Uh, We're able to segment the fan council data uh, by types of fans too, which is really helpful. So if we're trying to you know, create a new piece of content or a product for a specific type of fan, like a more avid fan or um, a younger fan or a, a female fan, we're, we're able to segment that data and then give recommendations based on those segments. Um, additionally, we are actually helping out the content and social teams reimagine their audience development procedures. We're taking a look at customer service and support processes that they've got in place now uh, to just kind of audit it and ensure that we're providing a best-in-class service to our fans. We'll be um, looking for trends and the feedback and you know, sharing all of that information with the product teams, um, as well as the content teams to help them inform their roadmaps in the future. So that's the fan side uh, of the product. Um, PGA Tour is, is kind of a unique organization and you working with players and, and for the players, how, does that help in initiating and testing pilots and proofs of concept? That one's interesting for me. The The labs and innovation team rarely works directly with players. Um, if we do need a player for a project, we typically work through our player relations um, department. Um, however, we do have a golf technologies team that works directly with players to really understand what their needs are. They've got a special app that's just a player app. Um, no fans have access to it. But it's, it's the things that they need during live tournament play to, um, to feel like they've got all the information at their fingertips while they're on course and they don't have to um, you know, worry about trying to collect it somehow or going to the media center or whatever. Um, so yeah, we, we don't work with them very often, um, but when we do, it's usually through player relations. When we talk about the players, and the, and the tour is known for having diverse leaderboards in terms of players from all over the globe as well as players of color. Last year, you started a new inclusivity initiative, and, and your group assists a community partner. Um, I'm wondering if you could explain that initiative and how it helps the PGA Tour as well as that local charity. Absolutely. This is the, my, my favorite topic of the whole day. Um, it's something I'm really passionate about. So historically, um, golf has been perceived by a lot of people as an elitist sport with a culture that isn't... Um, isn't totally welcoming to differing viewpoints and ideas. Uh, you know, thankfully, this stereotype has sort of been flipped on its face um, as a new, uh, a new image of golf has emerged over the last couple of decades. Um, 
at the tour, we feel like building vibrant, uh, vibrant voices and putting them all together and getting all those perspectives is the only way to develop the best ideas. It's the only way to foster innovation. And it's the only way that we can broaden the reach and the impact of our sport. And I think that you know, at the tour, inclusion isn't just one person's responsibility like it is in some companies. Um, for example, a lot of companies have a chief diversity and inclusion officer. We don't. We have an inclusion leadership council. We've also got six employee resource groups that form um, what I'll describe as our boots on the ground approach to rally around specific areas like people of color, military and first responders, um, you know, employees with families. Um, and, and other, you know, other uh, affinity groups. And we pride ourselves on the diversity of our players with, you know, 90 plus international members representing over 27 countries. But something still feels like it's missing for me um, personally. So pr- this is where PRISM comes in. Uh, PRISM is the PGA Tour's first LGBTQ plus allies group, uh, employee resource group at the tour. Um, This group was formed to uh, really engage and educate and invite new allies to help us achieve um, full inclusion for LGBTQ people at the tour. When I, uh, I guess it was two years ago, um, I was really inspired by my brother's story to do more in the community. Um, He reached out to me and told me that he is transgender. And I was like, wow, (laughs) Um, what can I realistically do um, to accomplish something in the community related to LGBTQ um, equality and rights and inclusion? And I felt that, you know, the best way for me to do this work was to improve the representation of LGBTQ plus people in the sports world. Um, I really felt like this was something I could directly influence just because of my work in the sports industry. I've been working in sports since 2011. Um, So I know a lot of people, I know a lot about sports, and I think it's a a good way for me to contribute. So our main focus areas in PRISM right now are employee education, Um, looking at policy, um, tour policies to make sure that they're inclusive, hosting events for both our employees and for the community, and and focusing on communications as well. We've we've partnered with a local charity, it's called Jasmine, and Jasmine provides uh, assistance to housing insecure LGBTQ youth. Um, So I'd really like to give them a shout out. Jasmine is hosting a virtual 5K uh, event this month, So normally I wouldn't shout out a 5K on a podcast for everyone, but because the event is virtual, it means that anyone in any location can run. And I would love to get a whole lot more runners on board to help support this amazing organization. You can find the event registration by searching for Jasmine Strides for Pride 5K on Facebook. And Jasmine is spelled J-A-S-M-Y-N. So definitely go check that out. Again, that's Jasmine Strides for Pride 5K on Facebook. Well, I'll definitely want to mention that again before the end of the podcast. You referenced your um, tenure in sports since 2011. You've got a, a, a well-rounded uh, career at the PGA Tour since 2016, but you built a global IT and digital operations organization at Nike, servicing a 1,000 Nike-owned stores. And you created NASCAR's digital operations department from scratch. 
Um, Nike's known for its connection with consumers. What did you take away from your time there? So actually, I brought something with me to Nike that I used um, before I was there and I still use today. Um, when I worked at um, my very first, like I'll put in air quotes, real job, MBNA, uh, which is now Bank of America, I discovered two things that ultimately became my guiding principles in my career. Um, the first one is thinking things through, and the second one is think of yourself as a customer. And when I moved into the sports world, I sort of shifted that to be think of yourself as a fan. Um, so this second principle, thinking of yourself as a fan, has served me really well in every position I've had throughout the years and keeps me laser focused on the fan. And while I was at Nike, my customers weren't called fans at all. They were called athletes and coaches. Um, the athletes help customers locate merchandise in the store and work hard to sell the products that are in there. Um, the coaches are basically the store managers. Um, so athletes are sales folks and coaches are um, store managers. Um, so when these people are in the stores and they've got customers in the stores and they don't have the right tools they need to do their job, the whole model falls apart, right? You lose sales, people walk out the door, the line forms because the register is not working um, and things just start to fall apart. So when I came to Nike, athletes and coaches were, in my opinion, they were sort of treated as third-class citizens. Uh, nothing they said mattered. Anything they reported was ignored. Um, if they had issues with their registers, their point-of-sale devices, inventory devices, uh, inventory tracking devices, or digital displays in the store, it kind of fell on deaf ears. Um, so I, I built a team to monitor every piece of equipment, every piece of digital equipment in every store globally all over the world. Um, the team would use that information to look for anomalies um, and disruptions in the equipment and start to troubleshoot or fix those issues even before a coach or an athlete could call us to report it. So like kind of flipping that model of nobody cares what your problem is to we care so much about your problem. We don't even want you to call us. We just want to know that it's happening and fix it before you even get to it. So we gave them a direct phone number, um, you know, direct phone line into the support team that was separate from the Nike uh, uh, employee hotline. So it used to be that the Nike employees and the coaches and athletes in the store would use the same hotline when they had issues with their devices. Um, so we stopped that and we, we separated that out so that they could have their own dedicated uh, team to support them. We also instrumented uh, monitoring across the entire digital platform globally, um, the entire infrastructure stack, every digital app, every, every website and provided the same types of services on the digital side of the house. We did all that work, hired almost 90 people globally, and built um, a follow the sun model to ensure continuous coverage um, in just a few months. And if you're not sure what a follow the sun model is, it basically means that you've got teams um, uh, broken up across the globe. So you've got some people in Oregon, you've got some people in um, Shanghai and China, you've got some people in India, you've got some people in Amsterdam, and as each each group finishes their work day, the next group comes online and takes over any issues that are currently active um, and takes on the issues all over the world uh, during their shift and then hands it to the next group that comes online. So it's just this, you know, you're following this the sunrise and the sunset. Anyhow, um, after just a few months, we finished that work, we got this model launched, and the people in the stores were absolutely thrilled. 
So we earned one of Nike's top honors, a Maxim Award, at the end of that year. And I have to say, it's truly one of the proudest moments of my career. Wow. Well, that is impressive and, and awesome and uh, great how you took that from kind of the banking world into the sports world. We talk about leagues and you know, PGA Tour and NASCAR, probably a little bit different, but did working for NASCAR prepare you for the tour at all? Absolutely. Stock car racing and golf on their face seem to be very different. But when you when you start to learn about the, the business of sport and the technology of sport, everything is kind of blurry and very similar. Um, at NASCAR, during the time period where you know, they were bringing their digital media rights back in-house after many years of Turner managing them. I was trusted by John Martin, thanks John Martin, to, you know, design and build a small department, a uh, small operations department, including all the people, all the process, all the tools, communication methods, everything. It was super rewarding, and I learned a ton about myself and about others along the way. Um, and I would say the biggest lesson I learned when I was um, when I was at NASCAR is just to listen. Don't wait for the moment when you can start talking and reply. Like it's okay to take a moment to collect your thoughts after listening, properly listening to compose a response. Like awkward silences really are okay. Awkward turtle, awkward silence. <laughs> I hear what you're saying. Um, yeah, I, I need to learn from that too. Um, with um, the PGA Tour hopefully back in action sooner than later, um, how are you and your team getting ready for their turn? And will they be launching any new products in the near future that we can look forward to? Yeah, we've got a couple things up our sleeves that we're not quite ready to chat about just yet. Um, but I do want to take this moment to remind everybody uh, to take advantage of the free content on PG Tour Live and NBC Sports Gold at this point. Yeah, that's a great point. And again, before we go, we want to shout out um, Jasmine Strides for Pride 5K. Where can people sign up for that? Uh, they've got an event uh, on Facebook. So again, if you search for Jasmine Strides for Pride 5K, you'll find the registration URL there. All right. And that's J-A-S-M-Y-N. Right? That's correct. All right. Well, thanks very much, Devin Fox, Director, Digital Platform Innovation at the PGA Tour. Um, you can follow Devin on Twitter at Devin R. Fox, D-E-V-O-N-R-F-O-X. And that's all one word. Thanks so much, Devin. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks again. And thank you for listening to Believe in the Media Guide. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe and rate the podcast on iTunes. We're also available on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Find us at Believe.com, that's B-L-E-A-V.com, and at Believe Podcasts on social. I'm on Twitter at Hotem, H-O-T-H-E-M, as in Mary. Stay tuned and stay safe. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.